Welcome to God Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Ali Hassan. Ali is a comedian. He's also a host of Laugh Out Loud on CBC, and he's also a host of Canada Reads. If you're Canadian, you might remember him as a regular on George Stropolopoulos tonight. Please check me out on Instagram at NoorKidWai. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everyone. My guest this week, Ali Hassan. All right, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with host of Laugh Out Loud on CBC and Sirius XM, Ali Hassan. Ali, thanks for joining me, my man. I love it. I love the energy. I love the energy. I need this right now. <laughs> I kind of want to introduce you like we do in stand-up. Like, all right, yeah. <laughs> get the applause going, my man, Ali. <laughs> you guys don't even know what's about to happen. You ever do one of those when you're introducing? This, this guy deserves more than that. <laughs> and then they don't. Then they don't. Then they go on and bomb. And you're like, oh, man, come on. I gave that intro everything I had. <laughs> you should have coasted uh... for 15 off the intro. No, it's true, man. Uh, dude, I'm fucking happy to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I always looked up to you in the business. I feel like uh, you're the kind of like career I want. So I, uh, I always love that. Uh, can you give my audience maybe just a little bit of your background, a little bit of your career yeah. so they can know you a bit? Well, you know, it's a bit of a mishmash. It was like I didn't really... My focus in life at one point was really, and I mean like a, a focus, like to this day, I've never had that type of focus. It was to be on the food network. I was a chef. I was a caterer. I was a cooking instructor that I used to watch the food network, you know, passionately, religiously. Um, and, and I was just like, I can do this better than a lot of these people. I know I can, I can, I can be more entertaining than half the people on the food network. If they would just see me, you know, it was like, the prettiest girl at the dance vibes. She would just get to know me. And then it was, and it was equally that pathetic because like, you know, the phone would, I was doing all these auditions for the food network and the fo phone would ring and it was really like, food network. Oh, mom, I got to let you go. I'm expecting, you know, like it was so bad. It was so, and we talk about this now it, it, very often, particularly in acting people talk about, how they can sense the desperation on you. But we talk about that in relationships too. When people can sense how desperate you are, they don't want to have anything to do with you. And so that was, I was very desperate. And I can admit that uh, readily that that was, it was an ugly time. But I started stand-up comedy because I just wanted to build my food network, my one day, a cooking show. I shouldn't say food network, I should say cooking show. I, just, I wanted a cooking show and it was, uh, it, I was going to do comedy so that I could, uh, you know, treat the room like a studio audience, build my own confidence, write jokes about food. And that's why I started doing comedy. But then my first night of stand-up, I was just, I was hooked on stand-up for, for the love of stand-up itself. And then life kind of went in a weird direction there. I mean, for many years, I thought I could combine them. Sometimes I used to hide the fact that I was doing stand-up from a client because it's like, I don't know, you know, I was like, once I'm on television, I'll tell them. But right now, I didn't want people to be like, wait a minute, so you're a clown part-time and then you're also in our kitchen? We don't want a clown in our kitchen making a meal for our, our, our closest guests. And so I would keep it a secret. It was all this bouncing. But then I moved from Toronto to, to from Montreal to Toronto in 2010. And then, and then that, that's when the food thing kind of you know, I'd been doing comedy for a few years, like four years. And then, um, you know, some whatever pulp and paper company in Mississauga calls you and says, we got a gig. We're looking for a comedian to do 30 minutes. We've got $1,800. And I'm like, hold on a second. I can make $1,800, a 15 minute drive away from my house. Like, and I thought about how much work 
full respect to caterers everywhere, how much work you got to put in to make $1,800 in your pocket as a caterer. Yeah. Like that's three days of back breaking work to make that. And then, so it just sort of shifted. So food, you know, went to the back burner and I would still do events here and there, but it was no longer my focus and stand up became my thing. And then CBC, I got in that wheelhouse. I used to be on a show called George Strombolopoulos tonight. I was on a comedy panel. And then from there, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the wheelhouse. It's the wheel. It's the CBC wheelhouse. Once you're in, don't, don't, don't get out. They told me. Cause I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go to LA. Maybe I'll go to New York. And a couple of veteran comedians were like, no, no, not you. You don't leave here. I was like, well, you know, and they were like, no, you do not leave. Do you know Daryl Purvis? You familiar with Daryl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, right? Yeah, yeah. Daryl was one of the first guys. He was like, dude, I left to San Diego for two years and I was the golden boy at CBC. I come back, nobody knows me. Everybody I knew has moved on. And, hey, I'm not in TV, I'm in radio now. Hey, I'm not in radio, I'm in this. I'm, and he was like, yeah. I went from like celebrated person to, uh, to, to, to persona, you know. Um, non grata, no. I guess. Yeah, yeah, true. But honestly, man, like, uh, I think it was a good move for you because you've just had so many opportunities. And like, now you're the host of Laugh Out Loud. Uh, you do Canada Reads as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a crazy one. My dad was an English teacher who always was like, I never see you reading. And now it's like, man, if my dad was still alive, I'd be like, take that, dad. Take that, huh? <laughs> Hosting a literary competition. He would be like, you know what? He would have probably say like, the CBC has no standards. Why would they hire you to host this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Let me talk to them. No thanks. Oh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other thing, like, uh, the reason, like, I always kind of, like, thought, like, I kind of saw myself in you a lot. And it's not the baldness. I won't say that. <laughs> uh, the one thing I would say is, like, I kind of saw us both. We're both like uh, come from Muslim families and uh, we're both so Canadianized. Like, uh, do you kind of sure. see yourself like that? I always saw myself like that. Definitely, man. Definitely. I mean, this, this is, I'm, I'm actually, you know, in, in, in the midst of writing this book, it's pretty much done. It's an exploration of all these themes about growing up so Canadian. And if my mother would talk to me in Urdu, or my dad would say something in Punjabi in front of my friends, I'd be like, dad, mom, English, English. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, you're the one correcting them. <laughs> I'm correcting them speaking English. Come on, you, you guys, your dad, you're an English teacher, for God's sake, speaking English. But, but like, I'm so embarrassed because like, what they were saying was like, is your friend hungry? You know? Yeah. Like that, that's what they were saying. Like, do you want to be saying? And I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed of because you just you want so much, especially in the 70s and 80s in Canada, you know. And I think people who are like their formative years are in the 90s and 2000s and they're in large urban centers. I don't know if they can relate to this, but back then, like you either you are denying your brown heritage completely or you're living a double life. That's what I found, right? Like on the weekends, 100%. you're that Indian or Pakistani kid who's meeting with other Indian Pakistani families. Then you go to school like, oh, what did I do this weekend? Man, I listened to some Iron Maiden, did some break dancing, you know? Meanwhile, <laughs> ate some burgers, ate, ate some burgers. burgers and hot dogs, you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, you were rolling samosas with your mother to go to like a family function or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and like, uh, I love how you said that double life. It felt like that. Like I grew up in High River, so just such a small town. And like, uh, that was my weekends going into Calgary, going to like the Muslim events with all the families and like hanging out with that. So like, it was interesting. Did you, did you speak Urdu? I speak Urdu, yeah. I, I continue to, it gets worse all, all the time. It gets continuously worse. But I actually took three years of Urdu in, uh, in, uh, in McGill. Oh, okay. Yeah, the last year, the third year, was a, a Urdu poetry class, and it was maybe the toughest class I've ever taken in my life. Yeah, because it was it was insane. It was like I could like barely understand what the poet was saying, and then I would be like, I do the assignment. I'm like, I think you know, having pulled from all these different things and you know, dictionaries, I think this is what's being said. And then the teacher would be like, no, what he's referring to is the heat from the fires of 1911 when he was imprisoned. I'm like, how am I supposed to know that? Like it was so like multi, 
layered poetry. I was, it was insane. It's the toughest class I've ever taken. Yeah. But yeah, that was when I was coming out of my, I ain't brown. That was like, I'm now I'm taking three years of Urdu. That's how brown I am, you know? Yeah. And when did uh, the kind of the flipping back on the identity uh, come back to you? Like, when was it kind of like, I want to like explore this side of me? I think once I got to, uh, so I, I grew up on the South shore of Montreal and then I went to a CEGEP, which is a college. And in, in Quebec, you do five years of high school, seven to 11. Then you do a college, which is called a CEGEP. And then you go to university. So I was in this college on the South Shore, right where I grew up. So everybody I'm in college with, I either went to Sunday school with, or I went to like Islamic Sunday school, or I went to high school with, or I played volleyball against, or I met at parties. And so it was just like a bigger high school. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like skipping class and uh, it was just like so myopic. You know, it was like, it was just me with the exact same people, but more of them. And I was missing class. I was goofing around. And then I apply, you know, I just walked myself once to admissions one day. Cause I was like, this is not good. And then I applied to another college and I didn't want to go there originally. Cause that's the college my mother and father worked at. So I was like, I don't want them watching over me. And then I was like, maybe I could use them watching over me. You know what I mean? Maybe it wouldn't be the yeah. worst thing. So as soon as I went to that college, at Dawson College, it was downtown. And I write about this. This is like, like, you know, you take a bridge from the South Shore to the city. And it was like, even though I'd crossed that bridge many times to go to movies and like, you know, shawarma in a movie, 10 bucks. Like, what a time to be alive, you know. But um, and I crossed that bridge and it was like a bridge to another identity. Like I got, I got to college and I meet all these Bangladeshi, Pakistani Indian uh, people who are proud of their background. Mm. So people are like, wait a minute, you're Punjabi, so you must know about this. I'm like, I don't know about that. Oh, you should know about that. They go home and ask my dad. And I'm like, yeah, that's a big part of our, uh, our, our background. I'm like, what? You never told me about this. Then people are like, oh, you know, just all these people proud to be brown. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't know that was an option. I thought we were all hiding from this, you know. And also... You meet all these Italians and Portuguese and Greeks who are so proud of their ethnic background that you feel like a bit of a fool to not have some pride in, in what your background has done in, in, in creating the person you are. So it was that. And when I went to McGill, it was even now it's like from people from Dubai and people from you know, North Africa, India, Pakistan directly, people from the UK. It's an international school, meeting people from all over. And I was like, oh, man, I've been... I've been denying myself of a whole part of my, my life here, you know? It's, uh, that's such a beautiful way of saying it. And like, um, before I go on, like, uh, this is the book you're talking about that you're writing right now is called, Is There Bacon in Heaven? And this is going to be coming out next year. We'll probably have you back on the podcast yeah, then sure, when it comes sure, out. Sure, sure. Uh, but I love that whole idea of like, um, yeah, at first you're running away from your identity. You're kind of like, almost embarrassed about it and then like you kind of come by I'm back to it and then find out like how fulfill- fulfilling it is and like how like how much meaning it can bring to your life and how much shit that you just become interested in like when I first like started to like really talk to my dad about like growing up in Pakistan and like the trials and tribulations he went into you're just I don't know it blew my mind and it like really made me feel more grateful for like what I like what he like is given back to me and like the life he's allowed me to have right Right, um, right. But why have, did you explore that idea of like why you were running away from it in your childhood at all? I mean, I'm sure it goes deeper than this, man. But it, it, quite simply, it was just a desire to belong. Right. You don't want to have a group of like 10 people in high school who you want to connect with. And they're like, oh, yeah, that guy, he smells of some weird food or that guy. I don't know. He's always talking some strange language with these other people. And I didn't want to be othered. And. The truth is I had a lot of similarities, just um, not because I, I was desperate to do it, but there was actually, I got to write about this guy in the book. There was a guy, Nadim Jinjua. Now, Nadim Jinjua, I met when I was like 14. He was 16 or 17. He was like the coolest guy I had ever met. So we're, I'm like 13 or 14, maybe even 13. I go, we go to his apartment, his, his family's apartment. And this dude starts grilling me. He's got his guitar in his lap. He's got long hair and a jean jacket, wearing a jean jacket indoors. I don't even know if he was cool, objectively speaking, but he was the coolest guy I had ever met. And he's like, you know Ozzy Osbourne? 
I'm like, I've heard of Ozzy Osbourne. He goes, you should know Ozzy Osbourne. You know Randy Rhodes? I'm like, no, who's Randy Rhodes? He goes, you should know Randy Rhodes. He's the lead guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne. You know Kiss? I was like, I know Kiss. He goes, you know this song? You know this song? Like, just grilling me. You know Iron Maiden? You know this? I'm like, I know a little bit. And after meeting a Pakistani, like, headbanger, that's what yeah. we used to call guys like that in, that in those days, I was really, like, connected to metal. So, you know, you go to my high school, it's mostly white guys who are connected to metal and, 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 you know, not just metal. I also like, you know, poison and, and like these glam bands, but then I also liked rap. And so part of me was really a, a chameleon and a lot of buddies would have to be like, you got to choose, man. You can't like rap and metal. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. I like them both. And then um, there was a, there was a moment where, anthrax this metal band called anthrax and public enemy collaborated on a song called bring the noise and i was like you see you see i don't have to choose they're not choosing none of us have to choose this is one of the greatest moments of my life but in the end just to answer your question i think i just wanted to belong you know i wanted to be like not othered and not a marginalized person in in high school i wanted to have a a group of friends I could connect with and not be, um, not be pushed out of, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know what I find like interesting about that? Like uh, even coming into the comedy industry, when you first could get into it, sometimes you'd have the same mindset, like, Ooh, I don't want to like be othered. I don't want to be like myself and be different and talk about the things that make me unique. And you try to like write material, like everybody else is writing, yeah. but then like no one like gives a shit because you sound like everybody else, exactly. but then you have to learn like, Hey, allow yourself to be yourself and like oh. explore that. And then that's when people all of a sudden go like, Hey, this guy's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And they also go, this guy's a piece of shit as well. I mean, it's, it's... It comes with the territory. It's all of it, right? You're yourself. You gotta be yourself, but it's totally true. It's I'm, I'm sure. I think I got into comedy a little later in life. So I didn't really go through that at, for as long, but I definitely did go through it. I mean, when I first got on stage, you know, it was 2006. So 9-11 was five hours, five, five years prior. So it sounds like a ton of time, five years, but it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Took them a long time. And I, you know, every time I was traveling, I was like in this, you know, secondary screening room for like hours. I'm missing flights. So me more than anybody, I was aware that people don't want to hear from a Pakistani Muslim right now mm -hmm. on stage, you know? So I joke about this, you know, for a few months there, I was like, you know, Pakistan was once India. So I'll just say, hey, my parents were Indian. Hey, we're Indo. We're Indo-Canadian, you know, we're Indian. And you know us and our call center. Like, I don't know what I was. I was like doing my own version of shucking and jiving on the stage. It was ridiculous, you know. And then all of a sudden, pretty soon, within a year, I was like, well, this is dumb, you know, because I should really, because I used to be a chef. And in, 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 as a, when I was a chef, I would highlight ingredients from india and pakistan i would highlight south asian flavors oh, nice. so i was like why am i not doing that in comedy right these are yeah. part of, this is part of my fiber these are flavors that like make me who i am and i should be talking about it and it's a it's an opportunity to a do some good pr for muslims right even mm -hmm. whatever even if it's a room of 20 people at a time at an open mic it's still you do you say something positive some people go home with like oh yeah i saw a pakistani guy the other day he was pretty cool you know he was able to laugh at, at stuff and he was able to you know, make us laugh. And then also it's just like um, not just PR, but um, education. It's you can you can inform some people about some stuff. And I think that was my goal for a long, long time. And only in the last five years did I really get to a point where I was doing stuff where people were like, oh, I learned I learned some stuff. Yeah. You know? It takes a while. You can get, oh, get up those glorified fart jokes for a while first. and then Yeah, yeah. I know it takes a ton. And like, honestly, you paved the way for a lot of us. Like, because I know, like, uh, I didn't start until who knows how many years after that. But like, uh, I, I can imagine it's like a completely different thing when you're one of the only Pakistanis in the scene. And like, when I came into the scene, like, you know, there was quite a few more. So like, it wasn't, uh, it didn't feel as like uh, weird. I didn't have to deal with it as much as you did too. Like, sure, was sure. it like, yeah. Well, one of my close buddies is Faisal Butt and Faisal was Pakistani, but he really didn't talk about that at all. He was like a, his comedy was like oddball, bizarre yeah. <laughs> type of stuff when he started, you know, it was really like, 
he wasn't addressing his his um I mean, his last name is Butt, so there were obviously some jokes about that that he had to make out, out of the gate. But his, it was just like he was just being funny and crazy and, and wild. Yes. And then everybody guy, else yeah. was, as you say, they're all in this kind of similar observational thing. So I think in, at some level I was like, I think it might help me to talk about my background. I think it might be good. It might be good for me and it might be good for audiences to hear something different, a different perspective. Oh, it it always is, man. Um, And you did mention like kind of like how things changed after 9-11 a little bit. And like, I guess like, because when that happened, I was in high school. So it was a little different for me to kind of wrap my head around it. Um, I I was wondering like, because the one thing I noticed a little bit, like from 9-11, like how the culture changed to like, around like maybe 2014 to 16 when like all of a sudden ISIS was on the rise and like, um, you know, there was those waves of attacks all over the world and shit. And then like this whole, um, this whole kind of like uh, anti-Muslim sentiment kind of started coming back again. And not only that, it comes back with like social media. Like, uh, did you kind of notice a difference between the two on like how people like would view uh, Muslims? I did, you know, I, um, my background prior to food and comedy was a poli sci degree. I pride myself on being somewhat aware of what's happening in the world. You know, I, my Twitter is not just comedians. It's a lot of, you know, BBC, the guardian, Al Jazeera, new Statesman, you know, I Christian science monitor. I'm just like all these news outlets uh, for better or for worse. Cause some days you're like, I gotta, I gotta get out of this news world. This is like bringing me down. It's it can be rough. But I, um, I was aware of like the general sentiment. And then, um, you know, Donald Trump plays an interesting role for me in, in my life, to, to be quite honest, because in, as I tell you, I was, I was really enjoying doing stuff that was a little bit more informative and, and entertaining at the same time. I always liked that. But then when Donald Trump came in, uh, 2015 he was on the scene you know running he wasn't even he wasn't even elected already in 2015 he was already talking about uh muslims you know i you know i wouldn't i wouldn't um i wouldn't deny uh, that that a ban might be something i would look into right a muslim yeah. ban a muslim registry this kind of stuff so I had kids and one of my daughter, I think she was eight at the time. She goes, what's why, what's a registry? What does that mean? And uh, are Muslims bad people? Why is he saying that? You know, that kind of stuff. So you're mm. going through that at home and then your comedy is like, Hey guys, uh, I had a weird soup the other day. It doesn't, it doesn't, it wasn't, I was like, this is a huge disconnect. Yeah. And in comedy, maybe there's an opportunity for me to talk about, you know, what this, this reality for Muslims. And so I really started exploring my solo show because of Donald Trump and people like him. And then once he was in power, you know, my goal was to take this show that I created called Muslim Interrupted. I built it, you know, 10 minutes at a time. And I built a 90 minute show by the end of it when it was all said and done. Mm. And by the time it was, I was going to tour it. America was definitely like I wanted to tour it across the world, but definitely across North America. But I'm hearing stories, you know, Donald Trump's in power. I'm hearing stories about there was like these three women. One of them I knew, Manpreet is a girl who I used to play. We used to play ball hockey in this Just for Last League in Montreal. And then there was all these other people like myself who didn't work for Just for Laughs and other friends of friends. So Manpreet was one of the uh, hockey players. And she goes with two white girls to a spa in Vermont and she got stopped at the border and they were like, you need a, you need a visa to enter the U S. And so this made the news. Like anyone can look, look this up. Uh, You know, this was at the Vermont border and uh, they were going to a spa and they were like, no, you need a visa. She goes, I've been coming to the U S pretty much my whole life from Montreal. Montreal is like a 45 minute, the South shore is 45 Mm -hmm. minutes down to the border. And they were like, yeah, well, things are changing. Damn. And so I was like, if this girl, not Muslim, Sikh girl, if this Sikh girl and her white friends can't go to a spa in Vermont, my brown ass is in trouble when I'm touring a show called Muslim Interrupted. Like, I, <laughs> this is not going to go well for me. Or, or it, all it takes is one border guard, right? All it takes is one person to go like, what's your show about? 
And then they go, yeah, I don't think so. You know what I mean? And now you've got shows and theaters booked and tickets sold and all that whole nightmare of canceling stuff like that, that you put money into. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't risk it. And so what happened is I toured it across Canada and I got to see parts of this country that I don't know if I would have ever seen. And uh, I got to really appreciate my own country and performing across this country and meeting, you know, friends and fans from over. I've been to cities where I know nobody and 350 people come out on a, on a long weekend to, uh, to see my show. And I'm like, who are these people? This is amazing. That, that connection, like, I wouldn't have had that if not for Donald Trump. So thanks, DJ. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, at first, I was like, it's going to be a negative connection with Donald yeah. Trump. It turned out to be a positive one. <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful. You've got to give credit where credit is due, you know? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and dude, you're freaking... Um, Muslim interpreted is like uh, seen as such a success. Like so Muslim interpreted is not a bad name, but it's interrupted. Interrupted, interrupted. my bad. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. But I like it. Muslim yeah. interpreted. It kind of was that also. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss a good branding opportunity? <laughs> interrupted, my bad. Uh, yeah. But like, dude, it was such a success. And like touring it around uh, the country, um, let me know. Like, uh, how, how did it like, did it get received differently in different parts? Or like, how did you feel about that? There were some rooms, you know, I can think of one that comes to mind. You know how it is, like, you've got 100 people in the room and the three people who don't laugh are the ones who stick in your mind. <laughs> so the shows that didn't go well, and there weren't, you know, I had some of the best reception of my, of my life, you know, in, in Moncton, New Brunswick, in Nelson, BC, it got standing ovations in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Sherwood Park, the standing ovation. And I was just like... In Sherwood Park, I almost cried, man. I almost cried on stage when people stood up because um, I was probably pretty tired. I was probably pretty wiped out uh, from having like built this show up. And it was like the second show I ever did, you know? So I, I, my first show was in Calgary and it was two, two shows. Okay. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can sell out two shows in, in Calgary. I don't know enough people in Calgary. Turns out the arts court the Arts Commons and Arts Court Theater took care of all of that. So it was a sold out show, the first show. Second show was about two thirds sold, uh, early and late show. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience. And it was the day that Donald Trump went into power, whatever, January 20th, uh, 2017. It was That's that day. That's when you day. started? That's when I started Muslim Interrupted in Canada. So there was like the stress around that. Will people come to the show? I don't know. Is this going to work? And, blah, blah, blah. and they, it was so well received. And then the next night was in Sherwood Park. And it was a, like, it was an older crowd, you know, quite older, like CBC listeners do skew a little older. And the ones who come out to support live shows, they've got, you know, retired, they've got the time, they've got the money, they're retired, some of them. Dude, there was a guy with a cane, not just a cane, but he had like, like the three prong cane, you know, like mm -hmm. where, where your cane needs a cane because the cane doesn't <laughs> support. That dude struggled at the end to like lift himself up and get up and give me a standing ovation with the rest of the room and the hundred, hundred people in the room. And uh, I don't know, man, I was like really choking back tears. I was the second, second city I'd ever been in, in Canada to do Muslim. I'd also been in Edinburgh uh, a few months before, you know, in August of 2016, I was in Edinburgh and the show was like up and down one night. There's, uh, three people attending. Then it's like 27 people. Then it's like, uh, it's canceled tonight. Then it's 10 people. I was like, the, the emotional roller coaster I, I was on for this show uh, was quite a bit. But yeah, it, vast majority of cities really, really did receive it well. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that opportunity for anything, you know, like I, I was already getting to a point, not to say that I wouldn't perform in comedy clubs, comedy clubs. That's my like, that's, that's my roots, you know, yeah. that's where I come from. And there's some, there's a beauty, there's a rawness, there's a vulnerability when you're on stage in a comedy club. But the idea of like, you know, you being the main attraction and there's nobody else, there's no opener, there's nobody else, you are the show mm. and people come out and see you you doing whatever it is that you want to do because in in comedy in a club you're still beholden to certain um conventional you know norms right like you don't go a minute without a laugh that's very risky 
That's mm-hmm. very risky. You probably don't talk about 9-11 in a comedy <laughs> club, right? You're like, well, where's, where's this guy taking this? You know, like I came out for a night out. I came to a comedy club. It says comedy on the back wall. I want laughs. What's happening here? Whereas, you know, with your own solo show, you could take people on a journey and you can create this tension and then release it and go to great places. And, and I was, I'd never done that before in my life. And Muslim Interrupted was something that really, really um, let me, you know, spread my wings, explore parts of my voice that I would have never been able to explore on a, on a comedy stage. Yeah, dude, man, that's beautiful. Like, uh, no, I can see how emotional that would have been at that Sherwood Park show where it just like, um, and I, dude, I know that that anxiety you're talking about of like when you build something up and like then you kind of put it out there and you're like, holy shit, like is this yeah. gonna like work? And like, but that's kind of the fun of this whole game, right? It's like it is, you know, it like you want to fucking you want to be vulnerable, you want to do that because like when it works, it's just like a, just like it's very fulfilling. It's a really big wave of joy that kind of hits you, right? Totally, man. It's irreplaceable. Like at, 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 a, at a corporate job, you've got a team of 10, you've got people above you going, that won't work, this will, you know, you've got support the whole way. You don't have much of a net as a stand-up comedian, you know, you got a couple of buddies. I could call Trent McClellan, who's a great friend of mine, who I know you know very well mm-hmm. too, and I could be like, hey, Trent, do you think I could sell this venue in this city? Absolutely, man. Now that's Trent saying it from a place of knowledge and experience, but that's also Trent being a supportive friend, like dream it, do it, go get it. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it's the day before the show, you're like, I don't know if this was a good idea. This is insane. What am I doing here? I'm going to be away from home for 10 days. What was I thinking? All this kind of crap that comes in your mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So it feels, it feels unbelievable when it all works out. It's like nothing else you can never feel in a, in a, at a desk job, in my opinion, anyway. And I've had plenty of goddamn desk jobs. <laughs> uh, so, um, like, I know in your show, like, you explore, like, uh, kind of, like, fatherhood and, like, with your culture as well and, like, being yeah. a Muslim. So, like, can you, like, give her, my audience a little bit about those, like, kind of ideas of, like, like, when you became a father and you had kids and then you had your background and, like, uh, just that whole, like, struggle. Like, I bet it was kind of a struggle sure, inside man. yourself, right? Well, I, you know, the the way it went was... As a, as a teenager, as we said, I was a white dude, right? I identified as basically a white guy. Yeah, I'm eating samosas on the weekends, kebab and naan, you know, a lot of Pakistani and Indian friends, but I'm a white dude. Never mind the, never mind the details, I'm a white dude. And then you get to, um, you know, so there's the brown and the white issue. There's the color lines, but then there's also the, the religious lines, you know, and religious was like, I was more, I was less, I was more, but it was always a struggle going to Islamic Sunday school. I write about this. I talk about this, that I had kind of a block, like the way people have writer's block. I had some kind of a Sunday school block. And I think I set a record for the most years in Sunday school. I was there from age five to age 15. Mm. Um, Like it opened up in our neighborhood, brand new Islamic school in a little hut in a tiny little school. And I was part of the OGs. I was part of the original crew at age five, age six. And then I was there a decade later and the, like the, the people who ran the place were telling my mother, like, he doesn't learn. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not, he's not progressing here and that kind of, so I had to be kicked out of Sunday school, like Sunday Get school dropout, here. kick out. Yeah, man. My, my mother eventually took me out and she was like, all right, this is not working out. 10 years of like, trying to fake it every Sunday. Like I can't, I have, you know, I got salmonella, mommy, you can hear like just catching buzzwords during the week, you know, and like, I'll try to use that. I'll try to fake my mom, like Oscar winning performances every Sunday morning to try to get out, never getting out of Sunday school. And so like Islam was always a bit of a struggle. And then I meet people who are like, you know, um, they don't care when I go to Miguel, they don't care that I'm like kind of Muslim or not Muslim at all or practicing, you know, and I, it felt good to me. People were like, that doesn't affect them at all. But then you meet again, it's that focusing on the three when the hundred were having a good time. It's always that your mind goes to the negative. You meet a couple people who are like, Oh, you're a Muslim. You shouldn't even call yourself Muslim. You eat pork. You shouldn't. Why do you call yourself? a Muslim? And you sort of get attacked for that. 
Mm-hmm. They had this very strained relationship with, um, with, with, with religion, you know? And then, you know, it comes to a point where I'm a chef and a lot, like I'm trying to do stuff for, for example, Afghanistan was getting the shit bombed out of it for no good reason after 9-11, right? Mm. U.S. needed a target, needed to feel good about something, needed to get into the region. So they're bombing Afghani. So I was starting as good PR. I'm not even Afghani, but for good PR for Afghanistan, I'm like, nobody's hearing anything good about Afghanistan. I'm going to make this Afghani non pizza. So Afghani non, I don't know if you know it. It's like, as long as your leg, it's the best, it's the best. And so I would coat the bottom, olive oil, the bottom, crisp it up with caramelized onions and basil and this, you know, a crumbled um, Bulgarian feta. And it was like, it was like a delicious appetizer. People just said, so I'm trying to do PR for Afghanistan, you know, then I start doing this show with a buddy of mine. We get a, we get a development deal with CBC radio and it was called, there's more to life than hummus. And we were trying to, you know, do some like funny, again, positive PR for Muslims. Then on stage, you know, I'm, I've come into my Pakistani identity on stage and I'm talking about being Pakistani on stage. But every time somebody goes, are you Muslim? I got to be like, oh, kind of. I don't know. Depends what day. Like stupid answers always. Right. And then I came finally, you know, and, and I credit a couple of my Jewish buddies with this because they always used to say I'm a cultural Jew. I'm a cultural Jew. And I would hear it and I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. But I didn't really know what that what that really meant. True. And so then I ask a buddy of mine, like, what does that mean, by the way, cultural Jew? And he goes, well, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably like, I don't believe in God, but I'll probably send my kids to Jewish school. I was like, oh, okay. All right. That's an interesting connection to the religion. You can have that. That's, that's allowed. He goes, what anything's allowed. Another guy, I, you know, what does that mean? You're a cultural Jew. He goes, uh, like I, I'll eat bacon, but not on the Jewish high holidays. I was like, wow, cultural Jew. <laughs> this, is an, this is an umbrella term. It really, it accommodates for everybody. All, all y'all are invited. This is and I, you know, in, 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 those, in those moments, in that time, I was like, dude, I'm a cultural Muslim. That's what I am. Like I'm pretending to not be Muslim, but my comedy, my cooking, my other projects that I'm doing, everything has some connection to my identity as a Pakistani Muslim. And I was like, I'm a cultural Muslim. And I never heard anybody say they're a cultural Muslim. I heard secular. I heard, you know, non-practicing. I heard religious. I never heard cultural Muslim. And I was like, this is the best term for me. So the book is about, you know, sort of coming to that realization about being a cultural Muslim. And it was like this gift that I got. I was like, oh, Finally, something I can say when somebody goes, are you Muslim? I'm like, I can say something and I can stand behind it. And I know exactly what it means, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And then I had kids and then it's like, you know, like my son, like my daughters are, were, 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 you know, already kids when I met my wife, they're from my wife's first marriage. So they took one look at me and they were like, this guy has no answer. So they didn't have a lot of questions, I guess. They're, they're, they're too smart. <laughs> But then we have a son together and this guy is like all over me. Like, are we Muslim? I'm like, yeah, 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 for sure. How come we don't go to the mosque? I'm like, I don't know. Do you want to go to the mosque? You know, well, I can get your grandmother to take you or something. Is that important? Well, how come you eat pork? I'm like, what the, like, I'm just being like, you know, four-year-old, you know, just kind of interrogating me. And so that at that same time was when I started to develop Muslim Interrupted, not on, not on purpose, not intentionally, but, you know, you joke about what you know as a comedian. And I'm getting uh, this barrage of questions about Islam at home. And so at the open mics at night, I would go and I would be like, yeah, my son's this and that. My son is like attacking me on a daily basis with things I'm not capable of answering, you know. And that's when it started where people would be like, oh, that's interesting. You said that you, uh, you went to Islamic Sunday school. I didn't know Muslims went to Islamic to, to, to Sunday school. And somebody would be like, I'm Greek. We used to go to Friday school. So after a whole day of school, we had to go to another school on Fridays. It was the worst. Somebody else was like, oh, I'm Ukrainian. We used to go to Saturday school. And all of a sudden it's like this, whoa, this is weird. It's like these new connections I'm having with, 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 with people, fans of comedy. Afterwards, they stay to talk to me about stuff. 
I didn't know Muslims prayed five times a day. Like, really? I thought that was common knowledge. No, I had no idea. Like, I would mention these things. And from there, it, it grew into the, uh, into the stage show. And I was like, okay, this is, this is I mean, I'm on to something. Because I knew I had like 20 minutes on pepperoni alone. My love for pepperoni was so huge. <laughs> At the time, I was like, I got 20 on pepperoni. And now I got this other 20. I got 40 minutes. I think nice. I could have a solo show if I dig deep and like really look into this. So that's where it came from. And it was really my children and, uh, you know, sort of badgering me and being like, what is this? What, why do we call ourselves Muslim? What is so Muslim about us? Because my sons, my son at the time, the one guy and my daughters had a lot of Muslim. We live in a, in a neighborhood where there's a lot of Muslim students. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, that's like, that's like a first question. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like, where were you born? Was a big question. Yeah. Where were you born? That was a big, everyone had to go around and like to say where they were born. And then they judge you for like, <laughs> is that a good answer or not? You know, <laughs> but I, one of the, one of the jokes I had, one of the early jokes I had was when we did that, that thing, we went around the circle and asked, where's everybody born? And I said, I was born in New Brunswick. Um, what this guy Jonathan Lane goes, What you're a newfie, and I was like, Am I? Like, I didn't even know, yeah. So it was like, it was, it was not just racism, but it was racism that was incorrect, like, it was too ignorant and lazy to even be appropriate racism. But I still felt the sting, even though I left New Brunswick when I was two years old, I knew that I'd been called some derogatory word. And uh, I, my joke was, Then I go home, and my dad sees me all sad. And he goes, what's wrong with you? And I go, they, call, they called me a newfie at school, dad. And he goes, uh, newfie? You're not a newfie. You're a Pakistani. And then I go back to school. Then I say, guys, I'm a Pakistani. And then I was like, and that was my second taste of racism after they heard that, you know? So, um, but, now, who got it worse, the newfie or yeah. the Pakistani? Yeah, yeah, Pakistani got it way worse. So I, was like, I was like, let's go back to newfie. Let's go back. We had a good thing. I came here too greedy. I'm sorry. This one's on me. I should have. Uh, <laughs> I should have known we had a good thing going. But yeah, the book is all about that that exploration of culture, and then the challenge of I don't. There's no way to pass cultural Muslim on to my children. That I don't, there's no way to do that. Just tell them you're a cultural, right? Because I came to that in my 30s, man. In my mid 30s, I was like, oh, I'm a cultural Muslim. But it's like years of like introspection and all kinds of experiences with dis discrimination as well, mm. you know, and, and finding out what's best for you. And you can't just hand a kid a stick of bacon and go tell them you're a cultural Muslim and tell them to shut the hell up, you know? Like, <laughs> so I, I worry for them a little bit. And, and the book was written from that perspective too. Like, hey, I'm sorry that your dad couldn't give you more in the religious uh, department, but I am who I am because of these experiences and, you know, no, that's go, awesome, man. Go have your own cultural, cultural Muslim. I like that. Uh, yeah, I love that idea. The cultural Muslim, like uh, I, I had Ali Rizvi on the podcast uh, a little while ago. I don't know if you know him. He's another Badshah, buddy. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was kind of talking about the same thing, like uh, separating identity from ideology, kind of thing. Yeah. And it seems like, yeah, I, I think that's just like uh, a lot of like Muslims coming up in the Western world is some, this is something we just have to come Intent to terms absolutely. with, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's something some people will never know about. They never have to do that. Um, but as Muslims, yeah, because, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know if Christians go through this. Uh, you know, my Jewish friends have never expressed express that this was a concern, but you know, it's that thing, it's a little bit of the damned if you do, damned if you don't. And, and it's, it goes back to, you know, when you're a kid, you're, you're not white enough for your white friends, but you're not brown enough for your brown family, right? I'm sure you went through that. Yeah, that's a huge part of huge, it. Huge, yeah. right? And then yeah. so the same thing happens with Islam. You know, you practice it in some sort of uh, what they might regard, your own community regards as some half-assed way of practicing. Yeah. Um, but you're doing the best you can, you know, with what you have and what you're comfortable with. And then people from outside are like, he's a Muslim. And like, it doesn't make a difference. Like, 
whether you practice zero or you pray five times a day, you're a Muslim. That's all there is to it, right? There's, you can't be like, no, 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 no. Listen, pepperoni, one of my favorite things. Like, forget it. Like, yeah. we know you, you're a Muslim and that's it. So you get it from both sides often. And, so it is and it is kind of weird when you get it from your, like, from the Muslim side saying, like, you're not Muslim enough and you're just like, God damn it. I know. <laughs> like, all right, I, know. I, guess I, I guess I don't belong to anything. All right. <laughs> We've all gone through it, all gone through it. And that's when, you know, that's, that's how I felt when I was, I was telling you in university, people didn't care. And then you meet a few people who are like, oh, you shouldn't call yourself Muslim. Why do you even call yourself Muslim? And, you know, you meet a few of those people. And after a while you go, I didn't want to be in your dumb club anyway. You know, you're like, I'm, I'm better than this. I don't need this. But actually, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice in the end because you could be spending time working on your spiritual self and working on, um, you know, different parts of your identity, which you just go, screw it. I don't want to have anything to do that. Yeah. Hate 100%. that stuff. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And yeah. So pepperoni over bacon, eh? Um, the answer is yes. And I'll tell you why, because, um, bacon had a smell to it when it was cooking. And as a Muslim, having never grown up with that smell, the first turn, the first time you smell that in like a diner, wherever you're like, it's a bit jarring. If you've yeah. grown up with it, it's like this. Uh, I lived in a house when I was in Hamilton. I was at McMaster for a bit, and I was uh, I was in a house with five guys. We were five of us, and one guy, Michael Chorney. Chorney used to fry bacon every Sunday morning for about three hours for the rest of the week. It lasted him till Friday. I mean, this guy was mostly bacon. Like oh, most wow. of his body was bacon. But that smell in that house, like I was up, I didn't, it didn't matter how late my Saturday night was. I was up super early Sundays to get the hell out of there as soon as Charney was frying bacon. It was just too much bacon all the time. So I didn't grow up with it. And then there was that little period in my 20s where I was inundated it, with it for a whole semester. And whereas pepperoni, I never found the smell off-putting. And pepperoni was also that kind of that was the thing that arrived on the pizza when I was in high school and I was like that looks good it's glistening look at the glisten on that thing you know and then that salty flavor it's like that was my intro you know it was my gateway it was my gateway to pork yeah so I always I remember it the most fondly that's uh that's hilarious so you're saying your your nose is more Muslim than the rest of your body pretty much dude my nose is my greatest strength it's not really a great skill to have but I have like a canine nose, man. Hey, you need that if you're going to be doing all the cooking you're doing, right? I think that's what helped. I think that's what helped your nose and your palate work together. And yeah, my nose is insane. Mm-hmm. All right, Ali, you're, you've been the best. Uh, I got to ask you the question of the podcast. So Ali Hassan, God, yay or nay? I'm going to answer this in a long-winded way, buddy. I'm going to answer ah, That's the- my favorite type of answer. My book is called, Is There Bacon in Heaven? The reason it's called, Is There Bacon in Heaven? Is because when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, I was told I can't eat bacon, right? I go, okay, fine. I'm a Muslim. I can't eat bacon. What about those? No, white people can eat it. What about our neighbors from Nigeria? No, Tony, Tony can eat bacon. What about our Hindu friend? No, Manish and Bhavna can eat bacon. And they would all eat bacon and they would eat it like it was a gift from God directly. They would love bacon all of them so i was like man it's just me who can't eat bacon and then my muslim friend well, i was like that's fine i won't eat bacon but then when i get to heaven and obviously i'll get to heaven because i've sacrificed my entire life not eating bacon <laughs> when i get to heaven after having made this incredible sacrifice there will be bacon in heaven right and the answer was no you will never have bacon and then i was like okay god nay <laughs> no, you can't do that to me. You can't, like that, you can't be that guy. You're just like this is too unreasonable. I just unreasonable. I was willing to play along. I was willing to play along for my entire life, and I, I don't even get rewarded. Come on. Yeah, if you're going to offer me virgins in heaven, give me some bacon too, right? Bacon too. I don't even know what to do with the virgin. I'm 12 years old. I want that bacon. <laughs> Come on. Oh man, that's hilarious. So uh, your next um. Are you working on your next uh, solo show? 
I am, it's called, does this taste funny? So it's based on my life in food. And it was supposed to start obviously this year, you know, I was supposed to tour out West and we had dates booked. So that has also been pushed to 2022. 2022, I got a lot of hopes for that year. It's, yeah. it's, uh, I don't even know if it can, if it can withstand the pressure that I put on it because it has to make up for all of 2020 and all of 2021. It has to be a big year <laughs> to make me a normal person again. Um, so big hopes for that. But yeah, 2022, the book comes out in the fall. The, uh, and then I tour with a, with a brand new um, hour long or more than an hour long solo show. Does this taste funny? So I'm and, looking forward to it, man. Yeah, and could uh, touring around exploring now the food part of yourself. I love that. And I, I, I kind of like this whole idea of the solo show. It's just like I, you can really, like, really explore like a subject and something about yourself quite a bit. That seems, uh, seems pretty healthy, actually. <laughs> I know. Well, look, it's not for everybody. You know, I, we, we've met uh, those, those weekend warriors who just love the club life. They work three nights a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They make whatever it is, a grand every weekend. They're pulling in four grand a month. They take a couple of weeks off and they're like, oh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm with my kids three, four days a week. For some people, it's perfect. For me, mm. I love being with my children and then just leaving my children for like <laughs> a week or two, then coming back immersed and then away and just getting out on the road. And as you say, eating great food around Canada, meeting great people. So I'm excited to do that again, man. Excited to see you again too, man. Hopefully everybody in your family, you know, gets better soon and, uh, we see you out there, bud. Yeah, same to you, man. And uh, please let my audience know where they can get a hold of you and anything you want to promote. Please do it. My website is standupali.com. Twitter is standupali. Instagram, standupali. Facebook, standupali. It's the one thing I learned about branding. Keep it consistent. So standupali is where you can find me. And I've got a number of different uh, virtual events coming up in the, in the next few months. And um, the highlight of the summer is going to be, uh, I'm, I'm opening for, for Sean Majumder at a drive-in theater. So I get to do some live comedy in Peterborough. Awesome. And so again, a lot of pressure being put on Peterborough, Ontario. But this is it. My wife and I are going to spend the night there. It's going to be, you know, um, <laughs> this whole summer rides on Peterborough. Right? <laughs> that's and a big, uh, that's that's a big, big event. event. <laughs> Maybe a cottage. We'll see what happens. But otherwise, a lot of Zoom shows and a lot of... Um, online and virtual stuff continues, which I'm starting to enjoy more and more, but, but it's not a replacement for the real thing. It's definitely not. Um, but yeah, Ali, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, you take it easy. All right. You too, brother. Thank you. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps and share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.